0: Good morning. This morning, text is First Timothy five, verse nine through sixteen. You can find this on page nine ninety-three in your pew Bible. God's word. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than sixty years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for a good work. If she has brought up children has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, have cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passion draws them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incurred condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversaries no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your faithfulness and the grace you continually pour out to people who are so undeserving. We thank for this morning that we have to be able to come and gather together as a body to worship you, to hear your word preached faithfully through Cody, to be able to do life and fellowship with one another that we may encourage each other. Lord, we are thankful for how you are continually giving us undeserved blessings. Lord, as we read here in this passage how widows are to be cared for by the church, Lord, we have this example here at FCF how we are doing life together. And if any one of us have burdens to care, we have our family, brothers and sisters, here to care for us and love us in that way, Lord. And it's only by the grace of God that you allowed all this to even come into place, Lord. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here and what you will continue to do here in FCF and what you will continue to do here in Fred's Prayer. We pray that, that your work would continue to grow. We thank you for this morning. We pray to sing in the Son's name. Amen.
1: Well, if you will do me a favor, I want you to turn in your Bibles now not to 1 Timothy 5 I will be preaching on it but by way of introduction would you turn in your bibles to Matthew chapter 16 Matthew chapter 16 Before we look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 I, I want to get a give a bit of a longer introduction We're so zoomed in in verses 9 through 16 of chapter 5 that it begs the question, what is the bigger picture? What is Paul, why is Paul spending so much time, what is his aim and zooming in so tightly on one particular type of individual within the church? And that's what I want to spend just a few moments here in introduction thinking about. There is something that the church does. First of all, before we even look at that, we have to understand that, as I said in my welcome and announcements this morning, you are the visible church. If somebody wants to see the church, if somebody wants to know who is the church, that's you. And that's you gathered together. The body of Christ together. And so when somebody drives by this morning or walks in, what they see is the church. And the church is made visible then outside of just the pew by how we interact with one another, how we care for one another, how we deal with the world, and how we do all of those things, namely together. In fact, as the Sin progresses in this world and becomes more heinous, seemingly. And yet as Christ progresses in this world and His kingdom advances, the clash of light and darkness seems to become, is becoming a stronger and stronger clash, a greater and greater contrast, if you will. The church then seems to be, according to scripture, made most visible in the face of the greatest darkness. That's what we'll look at here in Matthew 16 here in just a moment. Now, I rarely do this, so give me leave to do it at least once a year. I want a show of hands. Who knew that May is Older Americans Month? Now you know. May is Older Americans Month in the United States of America. I'm shocked. Not really. May is Older Americans Month. In 40 years, in 40 years, a quarter of the population of the United States of America will be 65 years and older. And yet, will those quarters still be around? Why do I say that? I read a book many years ago written in 1981. I didn't read it in 1981. I didn't have the capacity at that time to read but in 1981, a book was written by a man by the name of Joseph Bailey, who started InterVarsity Press. He wrote a book called Winter Flight, and he wrote about a time that is to come. It's a tough book to read, I don't necessarily recommend it to everyone. But he, he wrote about a time when when abortion would be the means by which we keep this society clear of, of any sort of malady. So anyone that is not the right blood type, anyone that is prone to any sort of disease or illness, is executed in the womb. He wrote this in 1981. We're not too far away from these things. He also wrote about the day that if you were 75 years and older, you would be on a, a list. Your name would be drawn at random. You, you would be drafted, if you will, for death. And if your name came up, you went and checked in and they checked you out. You may be perfectly healthy, but we've got to keep a society that is free from any sort of malady. And let's just keep everybody healthy. And so we're going to control life and we're going to destroy it at a whim. He may not be, have been too far off in 1981 from what is to come. And even now, we're seeing this past week, if you followed the news in the UK, of baby Alfie Evans, a little boy who was removed from life support. There was available medicine for the little boy. There was available care for the little boy. But there was not the desire that he live. And therefore, the courts deemed that he was unworthy. In the last 24 hours, Fox News ran this headline in the UK. Daughter jailed for leaving mother to die in her own feces. And I think, and it's been made clear many times before, that if you want to see where America's going, look at Europe. We're about 5 to 15 years behind them. And yet that stands in stark contrast in all its horridness of killing life. It stands in contrast to what we do see as well. Which is, by way of an example, this gentleman in South Korea, Pastor Lee John Rock, you may have heard about him. They made a film called The Drop Box cons- detailing this man's work of caring for orphans, unwanted infant children, even hundreds of them that are dropped into his home through a box like you would drop library books after it's closed. And he cares for them and he finds them homes, some of them still having their umbilical cord attached. What seems to be very clear is that the church values life is to value life, no matter the age. Now look with me at Matthew 16, verse 13 through 19. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is one of probably the uh, l- most lasting impressions that I had in November of my trip to Israel with Lucy and others. Because we got to go to Cesarea Philippi and we got to see where he would have said this. And it isn't in a field with sheep gently grazing. It isn't in a marketplace where the delicious smells of food and this thought of, oh, just the church is gonna be great. No, where he stood was against this rock face and at least four temples lined up side by side by side. And the biggest one being on the left side, so this side for you, this huge cave face. Where all he would have seen is black smoke billowing out of these places. And blood running in the streets. And the scream of, of goats and other animals being sacrificed. And just this horrid scent and smell of evil and idolatry right in his face. And that is what he said. Shall not prevail against the church. So as we approach this passage this morning. This is what is at stake. The church is what is at stake. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what is at stake. And yes, we take a look this morning at a, 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 verse, a group of verses of Scripture that you probably or may not have ever heard or may never hear again preached within a Sunday morning on widows. But to Paul and to the writers of the entire New Testament and Old Testament, there's something bigger at stake here. And that is that the manifold wisdom of God, the church, would be seen by all that the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be maimed in the slightest. That in the face of great evil, even as our country slaughters the unborn, and may even be one day the elderly, we would say, as the church, no, we care for life, because we were once dead and Christ made us alive. It seems interesting then, That though this is a simple passage on widows, Christ tells us in the book of James, God tells us in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. You want to know what it looks like before God to have pure religion and to the world? It's this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To care for those that nobody else wants to care for. To care for life when nobody else cares for life. That is the grace of God through the church to the world as has been manifested to us through Christ. Well, let's look now at 1 Timothy chapter 5. This, I hope, sets the bigger picture before us. That as we think about widows and their relationship to the church and the church's relationship to them and to the world that is around us, we get the bigger picture. That to not care for them, that to not care for life is an assault against the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that takes dead people in their sins and makes them alive. Have you been made alive by Jesus Christ? Have you responded to this good news that His shed blood can free you from all of your sin and the tyranny that is there and give you life everlasting eternally with the God of the universe? Have you responded in repentance to that? In saving faith, have you trusted that your hope is not in your bank account or in your marriage or in your relationship or in your job but in the fact that Christ is no longer in the tomb and has been raised? Then if you have, I trust that this passage, even though it may not initially address you, will be encouraging. First of all, I I want you to see how we're going to look at the passage. And that is, we'll take verses 9 and 10 together. We'll look at older widows. 11 through 15, we'll look at younger widows. And then verse 16, we'll wrap up with an understanding of this co-laboring that happens. First of all, I want you to just notice as you're looking at your Bible, hopefully you are, 1 Timothy 5, the detail of instruction given about widows is staggering. He doesn't pass over them. It's not like, oh yes, and there's going to be widows, make sure that they're cared for, a little bit of food and some clothing would be nice, and moves along. No, actually, Paul's description of how to care for them is only rivaled by his description of the elder and the deacon in chapter 3. You won't find a description of how to care for one particular person within the church anywhere else in Scripture as detailed as this one is, certainly in the New Testament. When we see this passage, we see this word enrollment. Let a widow be enrolled. What does that mean? Well, taking Acts 6 as our description of how things were done, apparently there is to be this list made or some sort of tally of those within the church that are truly widows. They are to be cared for by, primarily here, the deacons. Because we recognize that other widows are to be cared for by the church or their family, but that the deacons and elders were going to be the ones who were caring for the enrollees, a certain group of people. There would be this list, apparently made of an official support to be given to these women. And why would they be supporting them? Because they were in kind supporting the church. We'll look here at a moment at the eight characteristics of these women, but it's very clear they're devoted to the church. In effect, they're Titus two women in their widowhood serving the Lord with such faithfulness, the church is supporting their faithful service to the church, if you will. It doesn't mean then that the church would not care for those that are not enrolled, but not to the extent that they're supplying for maybe for their, their actual well-being, their food, their clothing, etc. And certainly the church would be leaned on to assist others. So, we could play, and we won't come on Wednesday, we'll do it, but just by brief explanation, we could play the case study game. Well, what happens if she's 61 and she's newly saved? Do we kick her to the curb? What happens if she's 59? She can't bear children anymore. She's been saved. She matches all the other... Do we kick her to the curb? No, I don't think that's what they're saying at all. There's some license of of understanding here. There's some wisdom that is to be gained from this passage of caring for these people. But it seems clear Paul is making some some statements about a particular group of people. Let's look at this more clearly. Verses 9 and 10, if you're taking notes, I've just titled this first point as Older Widows. First of all, let's look at the similar language of elders and deacons. If you take the list of deacon qualifications in chapter 3, verse 8, there's eight qualifications for the deacon. Here in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 5, there are eight qualifications for the widow. Let's look at them. Number one, she must be 60 years of age or older. That was the age in that day historically where you were termed as old. Now, no offense if you're 60 plus. But what they were trying to say, their age implied, is that they were unable to care for themselves. And certainly know with medical advancements you can be doing just fine at 60 years old here in the United States of America, but what they were saying is they were unable to care for themselves. They couldn't go out necessarily and get a job and provide for themselves. They needed help. Number two, They were the wife of one husband. Well, this begs the question, does that mean she couldn't have been married twice? No. In fact, he encourages younger widows to be married, down in verse 14. And we certainly know, of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, of his encouragement for marriage. What they're essentially saying here is, when she was a wife, she was a faithful wife. She was a one-husband woman. She was devoted to him. Her marriage was marked by faithfulness. Number three, she had a reputation of good works. Acts chapter 9, verse 36, we have this story of a woman named Dorcas or Tabitha. And that's what she did. She devoted herself to the good work of the church. She was making clothing. She was assisting with other widows. And in fact, when she is brought to life from her sickness the widows that she'd been ministering to come and join her bedside if we take a look in 1st timothy chapter 2 we recognize that one of the proper adornments for the godly woman is good works and therefore that's what she's doing here number 4 she brought up children she has been a mother number 5 she has shown hospitality to strangers, to those within the church, she has opened her home to encourage the saints. Not just encourage them, number six, she has washed the feet of the saints. She has exhibited, her, she, her life is exhibited by humble acts of service. She's not those who would just say, I will open my home, but I certainly won't help them in their need. In fact, I will help them as occasion may require. Number seven, she cares for the afflicted. In a sense, what is being said here is she is caring, she has cared for other widows and orphans as well. She's cared for other people that have been in need. And then it wraps up. Number eight, she has devoted herself to every good work. Now when I read this passage this week, the first picture that came to my mind was the Ad that is now an historical question, the ad being placed by Ernest Shackleton. And you've probably heard the ad, they're not quite sure now anymore if it's actually historically accurate, if he actually placed it, but it's taken on a life in its own and it's famous for its call to action. Let me read it to you men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. If you take the eight qualifications for a true widow to be enrolled within the church, uh, verse of 9 and 10, you could place an ad next to Ernest Shackleton, it would read this. Godly woman. Godly woman wanted to lay down their life. No wages, Long years of isolation with kids. Health doubtful. Fatigue, discouragement probable. Honor and recognition in case of success. Turn in your Bible a few pages to the right. Look at Titus chapter 2. These older women. Verse 4 Three and four and five, they teach what is good. They train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled. They train them that they are actively involved in relationships with these young women. To be pure, to be working at home. Teaching them to be kind. Teaching them to be submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. The question has to be asked what would make a man want to go to alaska with shackleton or wherever he went what would make a woman want to respond to such a call and the answer is christ all of christ for all of life that they are willing they are willing to to abandon everything else for the sake of the glory of christ as exhibited and how they live their life notice That the word of God may not be reviled. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 14. And give the adversary no occasion for slander. When a woman, and by implication when a man, lives his life within the home and within the public sphere. Within the call of womanhood or manhood. As God has given and described to them. They are a, they are an affront. They are a, a, a barrier against the advancement of the enemy. This is what is at stake. We, well, yeah, you know, I don't get to go to the Congo to preach the gospel. You know, I'm just a second-rate citizen of the kingdom. Paul is making an argument for us that the godliness of womanhood, the godliness of manhood exhibited within just the mundane, if you will, life everyday life going on, is that which is the the soundest declaration of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why would a woman want to open her home to strangers? Why would she want to wash the feet of the saints? It's obvious. She's been saved by Jesus Christ. She's committed her life because of His commitment to her. Brothers and sisters, relationships are important. The commitment to God honoring relationships within your marriage or home has eternal ramifications to it. Waking up in the morning and rolling over and kissing your wife or husband is a little thing, but it has, it bears eternal significance in how you're pursuing and, and growing that relationship. Children, how you determine how, when you wake up and how you deal with your mom and your dad that day is really important to God. And in fact, those who are widows who have devoted themselves and have these characteristics are, are serving the church By their example, those are the widows. They're unable to care for themselves. That The church is to enroll. The church is to care for. The church is to take uh, the, the money, if you will, that is brought in. And some of that goes to caring for them. But then he tells us in verses 11 through 15. Wait, Now wait a minute. Care for some of them, but not all of them. Don't enroll. Refuse, he says, to enroll younger widows. Point number two, just entitled Younger Widows, 11 through 15 but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith beside that they learn to be idlers going from house to house and not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not Paul, Paul flips the, the script if you will he gave eight characteristics for the older woman he gives eight characteristics for the younger women but he divides it in two First of all, in verses 11 through 13, he tells of four potential pitfalls for younger widows. And verses 14 and 15, he tells us of four potential benefits for young widows. Now, I think they're pretty clear with the exception of verse 11. What does it mean? Refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned the faith. That's heavy. Well, there's a a number of different thoughts upon this passage, but the one I believe is the aim of Paul, especially considering 1 Corinthians 7, and I would encourage you go read that, study it, be a good Berean yourself. But what he's essentially saying here is that marriage is a good thing. And that a younger woman, especially a a younger woman that may have been widowed when she could still bear children, will have the desire to remarry. And if she is unable to control that desire, she may find herself giving herself to marriage to a, a man that is not a believer. Here's how the NASB, the New American Standard, translates verse 11. Helpful. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. Not that it would be wrong to be married, but that their desire to be married may be so strong, if not carefully calculated, that they would abandon Christ for the desire of marriage. Now, that doesn't mean that a younger woman couldn't be enrolled within the church. But that it must be very, very, very carefully done. Because again, we can run the case studies. Does that mean a 59-year-old woman should not be enrolled because she might desire to be married and has a year to abandon the faith and run off? No. Some wisdom given here. But there's also some thought that needs to be given, especially for a young widow who may still have the ability or the desire to be married. Again, what is at stake? The visible church, the sound gospel of Jesus Christ, and how relationships are acted out within the church. And if these younger widows abandon Christ for the desire of marriage, they bring about condemnation. Not only that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. They have time on their hands and then they use it. And they just move from home to home and they say things they shouldn't be saying. They talk about things they shouldn't be talking about. It's good to go visit and practice hospitality, but it's wrong to go there for just the late up gossip train, is what he's saying. So, I would have younger widows marry. So, I as apostle give you wisdom, give you a suggestion that it would be good that younger widows marry, that they bear children. We could preach an entire sermon on just those two words. What it means for America to proclaim that a marriage, if God enabled should bear children. That flies in the face of much of our country today. Bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. It's amazing here what is happening. Paul giving so much detail to these widows, young and old, all for the purpose of not giving the enemy any bullets. No bullets for Satan here. How these relationships are handled, Timothy, young pastor, have wisdom in how you handle them and how they are to be handled. We don't want any bullets for the enemy. Verse 15 is interesting, for some have already strayed after Satan. What a warning. Timothy, I've already seen some abandon the faith. Timothy, this is going to happen. Timothy, there's bigger things at stake than just making sure the right order of widows. Souls are at stake here, Timothy. The souls of those under your care. In fact, Timothy, the proper and practical caring of souls will serve as a protective means of spiritual straying. I think some of the greatest wisdom that an older pastor can give and that I hope to have one day is is just very practical. Because in that practicality which we see here, there's a, a preservation of soul. There's a protection of the soul that keeps the enemy from having bullets to slander them. Well, let's look at verse 16 as we close here. I've entitled it co with the church. Verse uh, Point number three, Co-laboring with the church. If any believing widow, and that is in Conjunction that's in joining with verse 8, which we looked at last week, that the man is to provide for his relatives. Verse 16, believing woman has relatives who are widows. It may be indicating that the woman, as the keeper of the home, may care for those widows within the home more than the man may. The man provides, the woman cares. Not sure, but potentially the truth that is there. A woman... A believing woman, maybe even a believing younger widow, has relatives, she's to care for them. Why? Because she's laboring with the church as she does so. Let the church not be burdened by these particular widows, younger widows, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. The women, and even the men, caring for the family, the church caring for those without family, and especially those who are serving the church, co-laboring with the church. Now, what's application for us today? Well, I've already mentioned it, but I will mention it again. And one would be that the relationships that we have with one another, not only within our homes, but pew to pew, if you will, they really, really matter. Because that's what the, that's what the world sees. Is how you interact with the person to the right and left of you. That, that is what is the testimony of the transforming power of Jesus Christ is that when they see a person interacting with another person that's not from the same bloodline, that's not from the same ethnicity, that doesn't have the same demographics, they ask why. when the Christian family adopts the child, when the Christian family brings elderly mom who has Alzheimer's to live within their home, the world asks why. Relationships are very, very important, especially within the home. The proper attention to God-given roles in the home is a force against Satan. The proper attention to God-given relationships in the church is a force against Satan. So before we run out the door and do gospel evangelism this week, which I hope you do, before we go out the door and do discipleship this week, which I hope you do, may we give attention to our friendships and roles. And then the second application certainly is, is that what is the, what is, what is being visibly seen by Fredericksburg with FCF? When Fredericksburg sees the visible church that is FCF, what do they see? Do they see people that are devoted and in love with the bride of Jesus Christ? Do they see people that are transformed by Christ and have transformed loves for the people of Christ and for the people that are not of Christ. What does the world see of the visible church here at FCF? Well, Paul will take us deeper within the church, if you will, in coming weeks, We'll begin to look at elders more closely, even this next week, and how to deal with sin. But I trust and pray that the Holy Spirit has laid upon our hearts His Word, the importance of the church, the importance of the care of one another, the importance of relationships, all because the gospel of Jesus Christ is of vital, eternal importance. And may He gain glory through our relationships even this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice at the finished work of Christ that has enabled us to have these relationships that seem to be very clear here in Scripture. Father, we erect all the time another old folks' home, as they call it. Another place to put away those we don't want to see again. We take young women into buildings with dark windows to remove life. We do all these things behind closed doors. And we pride ourselves in this country upon love. Father, may this church and every faithful church in America take the darkness and drag it into the light. May we be those who faithfully care for the widows, the elderly, the orphans, the infants. May we be those who have the witness of caring for the unwanted and how we care for one another. Father, and don't let us be fooled and thinking that what the world sees is when we walk out of our home. But rather may our husband and wife relationship, relationships, our father children Mother, children, brother, sister relationships be marked as well, even behind closed doors. That what we do outside the home is true, not for the eyes of men, but because of the transformation of Jesus Christ within. Help us. This is difficult. This is the, this is the fight for faith. One relationship at a time caring for one person at a time. And may you help us, by your grace, to be faithful to do so. All for your glory. In the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.